Hello testing, it looks like we are live once again, and I am going to continue on from yesterday in my discussion of Thus Spake Zarathustra. So I have released, as of today, a animated, or at least you could say visualized version of Thus Spoke Zarathustra that me and a couple of boys did where we were experimenting with artificial intelligence art. So I've put that together and I've now published this on YouTube. So I recommend you go check it out. And I'm doing these spaces here as a basic supplement towards all of that visualized AI art. So I recommend you check it out. Now, yesterday I was doing the same and I did the start of Zarathustra from the prologue, section one, two, and three. And this brought me all the way up to section four. So what I'm going to do is when you used to watch those TV shows, you used to see they would have what happened last week on the TV show. They'd have this kind of quick recap. So I'm going to do a quick recap here and tell you how far we've come so that we can prepare ourselves for part four and part five. So Zarathustra begins climbing up the mountain, as I said yesterday, and he um, is a 30-year-old bloke and he gets sick of the world and he says, fuck this shit. And he goes and he climbs up the mountain and he goes up his mountain and he meditates and gathers off vital energy off of the sun. Now, when he gathers this vital energy off of the sun, he becomes powerful, he becomes juicy, he becomes mighty in every sense of the word. And then what he does is he comes down. He decides, all right, time is enough. I have sunned my balls for long enough. I'm now powerful. I'm now juicy. I must go and spread this juiciness to the world. So he descends down the mountain. And when he descends down the mountain, what happens is he arrives and meets a saint. And this saint is a representation of the jaded, black-pilled idealist sort of a representation of the Christian as well, which is the character who has high hopes for the world, wants man to be good, wants man to be perfect, and obviously realizes that man is an absolute idiot and he's got many flaws and he's not perfect at, the, at all. And so he leaves and becomes a hermit and escapes the world. And so this becomes the kind of conflict between these two characters because they're both sort of wise men. But they one of them is, lives on the mountain, the other has gone all the way up to the top of the mountain. And this saint is Blackbilled. He's in isolation. He's a hermit. He's like a sort of Greek philosopher character. And he's explaining to Zarathustra that he's no interest in people anymore. He's a misanthrope. But Zarathustra says that I actually love mankind and I want to go down and accept that they are not perfect, but they are like a piece of clay that can be molded. And I'm going to embrace them. And I'm going to speak to them and teach them about the meaning of life and my vision of the world. And so he goes down and he... Yeah, leaves the saint, basically, and then he enters into a village. And in this village, he conducts his first great speech. So basically, there's a tightrope walker. So everybody in the village is gathered in the marketplace because there's a tightrope walker going to do an event. This tightrope walker has strung a rope across two buildings in the middle of the village, and he's going to dilly-dally across, acting on like a mad lad walking across that to entertain everybody. But Zarathustra arrives just before that is about to kick off, and he sees what's about to go on and he sees this stage and he says to himself, well, look, I have been sunning my balls. I'm full of juiciness. I may as well stand up here and use this platform in order to speak to these people and begin to preach my message. It's almost like the Sermon on the Mount, it's a bit of a parody of stuff like this. And so he stands up and he says to the people, 
my people, I teach you of the Ubermensch. And he begins to explain to them, man, what man is, man is uh, something that has to be overcome. Many famous lines come from this. Many brilliant famous lines come from this, such as man being an ape and the Ubermensch looking at mankind the same way as we look at the apes. And so he begins to talk basically about this narrative and story of our evolution, how we are going to go to the next level of our lives, the next level of our species, if you will. And we are going to have a goal for our species. And he's also talking about the problem of God being dead and how we don't actually have a goal or an ideal anymore and it's going to drive us insane. And instead he says, all right, I'm going to give us a new goal and this is going to be the Ubermatch. We need this goal because there's a crisis coming. And so, of course, he talks about this and they listen to him in many different ways and he explains the despisers of the body and he explains that mankind is this stormy energy of depression and anger and whatnot. And then he says, the Ubermensch is going to be the answer to all this. And then he kind of pauses and he says what he's think, or he's kind of looking around and seeing what people think. And all of these people in the village, they look at him, they kind of blink and they kind of think to themselves, what a dork, what an idiot, what a loser. Or actually they misunderstand it entirely and they think, what the hell is this dude trying to talk about? So they turn around, and they say, listen, bro, 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 champ, you know, nice speech. Good, good attempt there. Nice flex. What was your name? Zarathustra. But um, we came here to see a tightrope walker. So we don't want any of more of your poncy blather brain in. Do you know, do you mind, uh, do you mind shutting the fuck up and just getting the tightrope walker to come out here? Is that okay? And so Zarathustra gets depressed. And that becomes the end of chapter three and leaves us where we are into chapter four, section four. So Zarathustra, just after having his big speech, all the people are mad at him and they basically say, yeah, all right, fuck off. You know, hurry up and get this show rolling. They think he's some type of performer of some sort. And so Zarathustra is a bit jaded and he looks at the people and he kind of thinks to himself, hmm, they're not really, they're not really getting it, are they? They don't really know what's going on. And he's a bit bemused. And his goal, obviously, is to try to speak a message to them. He wants to reach them. He wants them to hear his message. Now, meanwhile, the rope dancer, the tightrope walker, has actually heard what these people were saying. And he heard all this commotion. And so he thought that it was actually his cue to go and start tightrope walking. So what he does, what does he do? He goes, he starts to start out on the tightrope. Tightrope, blah. And so Zarathustra's standing there. He's looking at all these dummies, looking at him like he's a punt, an idiot. <clears throat> and he realizes that <clears throat> there's this great metaphor, this great analogy possible here. What we have is this tightrope walker walking across, doing an act of great danger. And so Zarathustra takes this opportunity to speak once again. So Zarathustra says to the people, using this tightrope walker as this sort of metaphor that he can hook on. He says this, and I'm going to read it now from Zarathustra, section four of the prologue. He throws up his hands. Well, I put that in there, but he basically stands there and he says, man is a rope stretched between the animal and the superman, a rope over an abyss. And it is dangerous to cross and it is dangerous to look back and it is dangerous to tremble and hesitate. But what is great in man is that he is a bridge and not a goal, not an end. 
you see what is lovable in man is that he is somebody who can go over, but also can go down. I love those that know not how to live except as downgoers, for they are the ones who make it beyond. I love the great despisers because they are the great adorers and arrows of longing for the other shore. I love those who do not first seek a reason beyond the stars for going down and becoming sacrifices, but sacrifice themselves to the earth and that the earth of the Superman may hereby and may hereafter live. I love him who lives in order to know and seeks to know so that the Superman may afterwards live. Therefore, he seeks his own destruction. I love him who labors and creates so that he may build a house for the Superman and prepare him for the earth, animal and plant, because he seeks his own descent. I love him who loves his virtue, for the virtue is the will to go down and an arrow of longing for far off shores. I love him who reserves no share of spirit for himself, but wants to be wholly the spirit of his virtue. So he walks as the spirit over the bridge. I love him who makes his virtue his inclination and destiny. So for the sake of his virtue, he is willing to live on and live no more. I love him who doesn't desire too many virtues. One virtue is more of a virtue than two, because it is more of a knot for one's destiny to cling to. I love him whose soul is lavish, who wants no gra gratitude and, do and therefore does not give back, for he is always free and desires not to keep anything for himself. I love him who is ashamed when the dice falls in his favour and who then asks, am I a dishonest player? For he is willing to go down. I love him who scattered golden words in advance of his deeds and always does more than he promises for he seeks his own destruction. I love him who justifies the future ones and redeems the ones of the past, for he is willing to succumb through the present ones. I love him who chastises his God because he loves his God, for he must succumb through the wrath of his God. I love him whose soul is deep even in the damage and he may succumb to, the, to any small idea, and therefore he willingly goes over the bridge. I love him whose soul is so overfull that he forgets himself, and that all things are within him, thus all things become his destruction. I love him who is of a free spirit and a free heart, thus his head is only in the bowels of his heart, and his heart, however, betrays him. I love all those who are like heavy drops falling one by one out of the dark cloud that lowers over man. They prophesize the coming of the lightning and they accept their role of pro as prophets. And I am a prophet of the lightning and I am the first heavy drop out of the cloud. But the lightning, however, is the ubermensch. Now, that ends section four. And what you hear or see going on in this is Arathusha doing a parody on the Sermon of the Mount 
from um, from the Bible, from the Gospels, from the Good News. Jesus sits up there and he goes, "Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." It's this type of vibe. But in this instance, Zarathustra is talking about something very, very fascinating, which is this idea of the downgoers versus the overgoers. Now, this is very significant because what we have in the idea of the downgoers versus the overgoers is a relationship to this concept of the Ubermensch, because to Uber means to, is, is sort of, it's a German word that has a plural, 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 uh, a, a set of meanings. And this Uber idea can mean beyond, or indeed it can mean Superman, or as some people translate it as Overman, you know, beyond man, Superman, Overman, the next evolutionary step, the super powerful next level type character. <clears throat> and then what you have is the opposite, the Untermensch, you know, the downgoer, the undergoer, the, the, the sender, the faller, he who goes down, he who succumbs. And you have this very important metaphor showing up here, also within the context of the rope. Because man is a rope stretched between the animal and the ubermensch. And he is over an abyss. And so as man is walking across this, this bridge, you could say, even though man himself is the bridge, <clears throat> but he's walking away from the animal towards the superman, he, is, he can always fall down. It's always possible that he will fall down into the abyss. He will fall off the bridge and he will fall under. He will fall into the, the well, we'll get into what that is in a second, because that's going to be the last man. And so this crossing is very, very dangerous. And I guess what you're seeing here in metaphor form is a story of man's evolution, because man is one of the animals. Man is among the animals. He, man is, is, sort of 80% a programmed automaton animal. He has all these urges. He has these operations, these desires. He's a, he, like man is, we're able to manipulate man like he is an animal and things work. You can use Pavlov conditioning. You could dangle a berry in front of a man or a piece of cake or a piece of McDonald's or a Instagram thought or an OnlyFans a, um, agency. You can dangle things in front of man and his passions will overwhelm him and distort his mind. And he can be conditioned just like a dog could. So we have that inside of us. But there's something very magical about us where we are a couple of steps away from man. We've stepped out onto this weird bridge and given ourselves some strange possibilities. Our ability to think rationally, to preserve concepts over time, to make promises, to, to think abstractly. These powers, of what, <clears throat> these are what given us the power to rule over all the animals. We are an evolutionary step beyond the chimp as a consequence, beyond the ape, beyond the beast. But then there is also a question. What happens if we go all the way down that path? If we continue to invest in our progression forward and think about, all right, we evolved to be able to be more powerful than the animals. What is the step afterwards? If we continue to evolve and make ourselves more powerful than man, what would that be? Now, of course, there is also an issue because part of this stepping out, going towards the Superman away from the animals, away from the unconsciousness of animal life is we are empowering ourselves. And for that reason, we are becoming more responsible and more self-aware. This is the nature of our ability to overcome the animal state. We become more competent 
and rational. But this also creates a great deal of danger because we have all this potential, but our decisions are going to have very dramatic consequences. And so now we're out here in the middle of this abyss. And if we make a fuck up, we might fall off this bridge towards the Superman and we might end up in something abysmal and terrible. We might make a wrong decision. And in man could be a mistake, a botched mistake of some sort. And so it's a dangerous position. And this is really just a beautiful metaphor for the problem of man's existential position in the world. It is fundamentally this this great tragedy being being man, being human. We our our, our position is so precarious. We are half animal. We want to attack each other all the time. We can blow the fuck out of our faces with nukes. We've got all this pettiness inside of us. We have this potential to reach the Superman. And we also believe and know that we have this potential to reach something great. But we also have all these problems inside of ourselves, inside of our psychology and our decision making that can, can tank us, can tank the operation, can tank this ship, can tank this enterprise and destroy us. It's a very, very dangerous, precarious position. We're, we're hyper aware of this. We're always fearful. Look at what happened, for example, in the communist states. You have this beautiful idea of progressing towards this utopia of equality and fairness. And we grab onto this and we say, you know, this is a beautiful direction to go. This is what will make us supermen. This is how we overcome our animal state of scarcity and pain. But of course, we invest in that idea. And what happens? It ends up becoming a botched experiment. It is a mistake. And we end up in the abyss. And the abyss involves gulags. The abyss involves a Russian commissar walking into your house, dragging you out in the middle of the night alongside an NK, NV, NKVD Bolshevik psychopath and taking you out and skinning you alive in the middle of the village like it was the medieval times, boiling your pregnant wife alive in front of you, raping your daughter in the kitchen table while they destroy your house and take all your, your things and repossess it for the property where they beat you to death, beat your mother to death in front of you because she picked up a seed in the, in the Ukrainian fields when they were trying to collect all that and say that they can't have this food during the Holodomor. This is what happens when the abyss comes. This is what happens when man makes a mistake. It is absolutely brutal. And so our reaching towards these grand ideals, like the communist ideals, can be a very serious blunder. But of course, this danger is tied to our greatness. This danger is tied to us, our ability to even respect ourselves. What is great in man is that he is a bridge and not a end, not a goal. We know that our state as it is now is not perfect, is not good enough, is not where we're going to end up. We're not going to stay here. We want to progress towards the communist future. We want to progress towards this capitalist future. We, we feel that we there, there's this implicit realization inside of all of our souls that we have to go somewhere. Even the people who want to go back to tradition are in some sense weirdly proposing this trad futurism because they wouldn't want to actually go back to traditional life because that would mean renunciating you know, modern information systems and all these type of things. Instead, they want to bring back memories and nostalgia of the past and install it in the context of the, the modern progressive world and whatnot. <clears throat> So we all have dreams, we all have hopes, we all have this idea of where we want to go. And so what is lovable in us, in mankind, is that we have this future, we have this potential, we have this ability to go up, to go beyond, to, be go, to be, become super. But we also have this potential to go down. We also have this potential to fuck up. 
Now, he starts then on this big rant then about all these people he loved. He's full of love, this Zarathustra chap. And as he goes on this big rant, we I think a consistent theme you see is this idea of I love those who want to go down. I love the great despisers because they're to get the door just the hours long on their sores. I love those who know not how to live except as downgoers. So he's constantly saying this idea that he actually quite respects and likes the people who are ready and willing to go down. And I remember when I was reading this, I was kind of pondering, I was like, what the fuck are you on about Zarathustra? You dummy. They're the bad people, no? What, you want to, you want to, you want everybody to fall into the abyss? Like what, you're, you're, what nonsense are you writing, bro, Nietzsche? What's going on here? But I guess the more I thought about it, I, it kind of re- reminded me of one of Nietzsche's other very interesting philosophical positions. Nietzsche is the opposite of an idealist. No, I shouldn't say he's the opposite of an idealist. Nietzsche often gives out about idealists, people who are, you know, lost in the world of ideals and, and big thinking. So you could think about a communist actually as an idealist. You could think of a communist as somebody who's like dreaming of this Marxist utopic state or something like this. You could think in some sense of a Christian as an idealist. You could think of a Platonist as an idealist. And Christian and Platonist would be idealists in the same way. You could think of these people who believe in this sort of perfect world. And this is a very strong Nietzschean idea where he points out that even back in the ancient world, you see the psychology of these philosophical perspectives. If someone becomes an idealist, it's usually a signal that they are weak. And why is this? Because the kind of defining trait of a strong spirit and a happy spirit is the ability to embrace and affirm life, to say life as it is is good. Think of all the people nowadays who um, look at the world and say, I wish we could go to trad futurism, or I wish we could go to some leftist communist utopia, or I wish we could um, you know, progress to the AI super world where like a machine will fuck me with a dildo every night or something like this. And in contrast this with probably, like, there's definitely people out there who are just rich and successful and handsome and happy and doing really well off the current situation. They're just basically like, I, I really like society as it is. I'm winning. You know, I'm doing okay. I'm quite fucking happy. You know, and what do you have there? Well, you have the successful, the winners, the strong. They they affirm life. They embrace life as it is. They're not really that complicated. They don't think about complex, profound ideals. They don't think about escaping to the future. They don't think about any. They don't care about reform of the world. They're happy with the, the way the world works. You know, but then all these people who struggle, all these people who suck. This is a really hard thing to think about. But all these people who fail, the failures, the incompetent, those who are not strong enough to embrace the world as it is. Desire the world was different. And this can manifest in many different ways. You can see this like Alex Jones sitting there talking about, you know, the, how all these problems with the modern world and they're all trying to do all these terrible things. And he's not wrong about most of the theories he talks about. But if you, you know, if you had your life on lock, maybe would you really be talking about stuff like that? Would you, re- or maybe would you resonate with stuff like that? If you think about it, would you be really paranoid about the elites if you were an elite? If you were strong, if you were powerful, would you really be thinking about reforming the world into some Nietzschean project if you were quite happy with the way the world was working? No, you, you wouldn't. Same with the idea of a communist. Same with the idea of a Christian. All these people who have these big ideas, these big ways that they're going to change the world is usually because they're failing in some type of way. They're not happy with the world as it is. Now, of course, it's a little bit more complicated. There's definitely some people out there who want to build the world in a good way and are winning an awful lot, you know. But I think it's a very good 
way of thinking and challenging your your conceptual imagination and, and challenging some of your psychological motivations for even thinking some of the belief systems that you have. And we get caught up in these stories and these narratives very profoundly. These can become so life-defining and they take up so much of our time, you know, that, that you, you research about theories about the world and all this stuff. Like there's dudes I see commenting on some of my things and it's like, you know, Marxists and stuff like this. And they have these massive channels talking about Marxism, how they're going to reform society. And you're like, it's, it's insane how much people invest in utopias in, in the future, stuff like this. Now, Nietzsche didn't like this for this precise reason, or maybe he had a strong critique of this. He would say, this idealism is escapism. And this is what Plato does. Plato was like, oh, this world as it is, is not the real world. There's this other world, the world of forms, the perfect world, the good world. This is where we have to all go to. Christianity, this entire reality is fake. And God actually lives in heaven, which is, you know, somewhere else. And this other world is your actual true home. And this place is just some test controlled by Satan in order to manipulate you. And it's like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, that's so intense. But that's what it is. And so this problem of, of thinking ideally is that it is pure escapism compared to embracing the world as it is. Now, what this brings us to is this idea of the modern world, because Nietzsche's sort of speaking in a time in the end of the 19th century where he was saying that God is dead and we're, we're going to start to snowball or, or stumble into this insane period of history now where there's going to be all sorts of crazy movements happen supported by modern super industrial societies and what you're going to see is a great yearning for ideals because there's no god we're going to begin searching for the the future the the where do we go what's the direction and so loads of people are going to start to think of all these escape plans of all these utopias of all these big dreams and this is a kind of general problem you see the saint earlier on in zarathustra is depressed with man as he is so he runs away and he escapes into the forest he's an, he's a, an escapist an idealist and he spends his time with god and he ignores man because man is too fallen too shoddy he can't accept man for what he is and then all these people you know living in modern society are going to run away to the dreams of marxism or capitalism or like some people would be like doing it with nietzscheanism stuff with this and they won't embrace the world as it is they they, they hope they wish they say, I, I would be happy only if there was a different world here, if there was a different reality. If I could reform all of reality, then I'd be happy. It's this idealism, this dreaming. It's very kind of childlike and innocent and good. And so Nietzsche wants to annihilate all that in some way or challenge you to annihilate all that and say, well, how would you, how would you change if you just embraced reality right in front of you exactly as it is, as it is and affirmed it and said, this is as good as it's going to get. And if you gave me the perfect world, I'd still find problems with it. So instead, I'm going to learn to make the most out of this good enough world in front of me. That's really like, you know, that's the true assertive master morality, if you want to put it that way. And what you have there is, is someone who's an embracer, somebody who embraces reality as it is, someone who embraces the, the world as it is. And what's interesting about this is I think, now I'm not too sure what the, the, the general scholarly thoughts are in this, but I think this is what this idea of the downgoer is and comparing this to the overgoer. And why is this? Because Nietzsche is actually weirdly talking about an ideal in the Ubermensch. He's talking about this character who's like, you know, the perfect man in some sense and his name is literally overman beyond man ubermensch 
And the downgoer is the untermensch, the, the opposite of this. But of course, none of us are the Ubermensch. And if we want to become the Ubermensch, we basically have to try to escape into the future, as Nietzsche was saying. But of course, that's also an inherent human need to believe in a future of some sort. So we were sort of caught in the double bind here. So he's sort of saying almost like practical idealism, being that if you're going to be able to achieve something like an Ubermensch, you're going to have to embrace the world as it is. I guess he's he's been like a life coach for psychopathic spiritual Brahmins of the future, philosophers of the future, or as the brilliant phrase he uses, prophets of the lightning. And so he's telling you, or he's saying that the people that he cares about, he loves, are those that maybe hate mankind as it is, or hate the world as it is a little bit. You know, they've got that disgust inside of them. But they, and they, they love ideals. You know, I guess he's sort of talking to the saint and he's talking to the idealist because he understands that those strong feelings inside of them, that they're smart enough to know that man can be better than he, than he is. And they're also ready to invest in the project to actually make sure that they do improve man. But in order for them to do this, they can't be delusional idealists. They can't run around and blather on about Marxism without understanding what it actually entails. They can't be, they can't be like an, an out of touch artist who's pontificating nonsense. Instead, he wants them to be people, idealists to embrace reality as it is. Guys with big ideas, big hopes, big dreams, the Ubermensch ultimately. The guys reach, trying to reach out across that bridge to this man, but they are really, really going to embrace reality. They're going to grab onto this world and they're going to affirm it and they're going to make the most of it. They're going to dive down into the world. They're going to embrace the possibility even that this path that they're on might destroy them he's sort of talking about these heroes it's such a fascinating dream he's putting together here because he's given this idea of this like set of avengers this set of characters these philosophers of futures he would later call them these prophets of the lightning who would go through modernity and they would know that they're living through a falling age the dionysian chthonic falling age they would know that they're living through an age which is going to be destroyed they know they're going to live through an age that um, basically what we've seen, everybody, you know, like look at the fucking state of the West, you know, everybody's turned into a soy jack, everybody's turned into a, a dork, a loser, you're broke, sparkling water. You, you see all this stuff going on. And what has happened since Nietzsche's time is like even there's even charts that show stuff like this. Western man's fertility has plummeted. The testosterone levels have plummeted. Divorce rates are going up. The crisis, and this has all been happening very steadily since the turn of the century. And poisons are increasing and, and all these types of things. And so it's almost like we are actually bungling down into something horrible. Reality is falling. Like the Marxists are correct. The, the trads are correct. The right wingers are correct. Like it's terrible. The West is declining. There's um, industrial society means capitalist ex exploitation. It's all true. You're all right. It's all right. And we're living through this slow collapse it's like a, a, a demolition or no, maybe a demolition is the wrong metaphor but it's like this avalanche that's happening really it's taking like a hundred years for this avalanche to fall and we're like these characters living through it and we're running around through these super capitalist cities and living through all these like incredible innovations and great historical events and some of us and all of us are sort of have this disgust for man we've watched a man go from you know the proud 19th century world explorer with the mustache showing up with a musket you know doing science fighting against tribes and stuff like this we've we've seen that character 
degrade himself into a fucking soy jack playing video games dork with a, like a bent neck and, and just the hunched over eating mcdonald's and onion rings and you're like what, what the fuck is wrong with us it's it's pathetic it's horrible and so we're like that saint in part two where we've developed a contempt for man we despise man we seem in man the last man showing up it, it's horrible and we believe that or we hope that maybe we could see something better, a more dignified man, a man who has a potential, a man who achieves something, a man who's better, a man, a man what we would actually call a moral man, in whatever we mean by our morality. And the thing is, is that even though we exist like phantoms in this modern world where everybody seems to be falling and decaying and turning into something more botched, more stupid, more idiotic, more pathetic, we as phantoms... We are these, these sort of idealists that Nietzsche is talking about. We're trying to escape reality. We're at odds with reality. It's such a beautiful paradox, such a poetic paradox. And he's basically saying, look, you dudes, you idealists, you misanthropes, I feel what you feel. I feel that hate too, you great despisers. But you hate only because you love as well. You're a great adorer. And you're longing for the other shore. You're, you're an arrow, you're a tension, longing for something beyond the Superman. Whereas all these people around you that you hate, the, the, these men that you despise, they are the last men. And so what you need to do is you need to actually embrace this world and make the most of this world and become strategic about this world. You know, and this is almost like speaking to the trads then in some way. It's like, look, you can't go back to the, the 14th century monarchies and the church system. You can't impose a morality of the past upon these people. Because these people are just not the same as the, the potential batch of quality that you're dealing with 600 years ago. You're not dealing with Michelangelo's anymore. You're dealing with like dopamine addict TikTokers. Like that's, that's your raw material. So this, you have to embrace reality as it is and accept this world as it is and become very pragmatic about it. Embrace this world. Get, get like, you know, embrace the chaos. Get, get into the flux of things. Figure out the advantages available to you. Stop being ideological about it. Stop being idealistic about it. And instead say, what is this world in front of me? And what does it mean to win? And have faith that if you pursue winning, you will take things towards this ideal, this ubermensch, because it's the meaning of the earth, which is the meaning of your passions, which is how you define winning. I, I absolutely love that way of thinking because it means you go down, you embrace reality as it is, you sink down into maybe like all sorts of crazy things that you might grab onto, but you ultimately grab into this real world. And this is actually, it's going to take an Avengers team of characters to do this, to embrace into this world, to, to make the most of this reality around us. It's going to take an Avengers team of characters like that to actually take advantage and get a grip on this world that we live in and start to steer it in the opposite direction. A good example of this would be someone like Elon Musk. You know, He's an idealist who wants to go and fight for Mars and wants to go and build electric cars, but he sees that the Twitter problem is quite a significant problem. And so he embraces that problem in front of him and he's willing to sacrifice everything to solve that problem because that's going to be the thing that empowers him to pursue ideals later down the line. And so he, he sort of dives down into the shitty world of like social relations and organizing Twitter, and he sacrifices those higher ideals so that he can say, set this foundation now that there won't be this like, you know, political tool of mass censorship and mind washing in place, constantly subverting Western culture. Then maybe he can go back to his big idea of reaching Mars, but there will be no Mars without Twitter. A very, very powerful mindset, very fascinating mindset. 
And um, these metaphors continue all throughout this. Like I love those who first seek a reason, do not first seek a reason beyond the stars, but instead want to go down and become sacrifices and sacrifice themselves for the earth. And the earth of the Superman may hereafter arrive. So it's this whole idea of like the meaning for our lives, uh, like this Ubermensch goal, this idea of actually su successfully avoiding the last man and creating a, a set of people that can actually, def you know, overcome the last man abyss, the problem of everybody turning into a soy face, a soy jack. This whole idea is about us sacrificing our, ourselves and our generations to make sure that that can happen because we're not going to be the Ubermensch. We're never going to achieve it. Our, we've started in the wrong position. Everything great is an inheritance and we like we have not inherited any greatness. Our education institutions, our parents were miseducated and all these problems. It's just not really there for us. That opportunity is not there. We are all victims of modernity, you know, and as was Nietzsche. And so all of us are actually at the beginning of a, a grand project, a grand work to prepare the earth for something that is actually dignified instead of allowing the earth to turn into Klaus Schwab's schizophrenic revenge fantasy and that girl who denied him in school and making everybody eat bugs and become fat and ugly. Instead, we have to prepare the earth in a different direction. So it promotes ma massive health and creates people of like idealistic beauty and power and intelligence and, and competence and institutions to match that as well. And that's like a revolutionary reformation of the world. But in order for us to do something like that, we have to actually embrace the world as it is and understand the problems that sit in front of us. We have to be willing to go down. And most importantly, we have to be willing to accept that it's not going to be us who reap the rewards. You know, we're going to be creating the, laying down the red carpet for the Ubermensch, but we won't be the people stepping on it. And in all of his readings afterwards relate to this he's naming out various aspects of mankind and talking about those who actually re reach this mindset i love him who lives in order to know and seeks to know in order that the superman may hereafter live i lo love him who labors and invents that they may build a house for the superman and prepare him for the earth i love him who loves his virtue for his virtue is the will to go down and an arrow of longing towards far off shores and this is again the same idea Virtue is like a man, it's like an idealist sitting down there believing very strongly in morality in, a, in an age that is basically the least moral you've ever seen on the planet. So decadent, so crazy. And so this dude, he's, he's like, you, know, you can think of him like a reactionary trad, jaded about what's going on around him. And that's actually, a, that's actually a, a fair enough feeling. It's a strong feeling of like, what the fuck is happening? Why is everybody putting themselves up on OnlyFans and just destroying their own culture and being weak and lazy and pathetic? Why are they putting masks on? Why don't they stand for anything? Why don't they even stand for themselves anymore? What happened to virtue? What happened to morality? What happened to standards? You know, and this angst inside of these guys, this, you know, they, they hate these, the, the man around them. They find them pathetic. They're jaded. But this, and they want to escape to maybe a Christian world or the past. And it's completely understandable. It's a completely justified response. And Nietzsche's sort of saying, like, he, he loves that. He loves those who have that energy inside of them. But he also says that if you have that desire to see man transform and you're longing for this far off shore where man could be better and the people around you could be better, that is actually a, enough life energy to push you towards embracing the world as it is. It means you have the will to grab onto the world and try to shape it like it was clay in your hand. And he continues on with all of these for an awful lot of it. And basically, 
articulates this image of a variety of different characters. I also love the free spirit one. I love him who is of a free spirit and a free heart. Thus his head only thus is his head only the bowels of his heart and his heart, however, causes his down going. So it's again, it's sort of an appeal to this idea of somebody who listens to their passions and gets dragged into the affirmation and embracing with the world. It's just beautiful poetry. But he, he ends then with this such a powerful image related to the last image as well of the storm. So in the last one, he, he talks about Dubermensch's lightning, you know, um, I, uh, he talks about these people underneath these, these sort of religious people underneath praying up to heaven, but there's no lightning that strikes them. And there's all this anguish and pain in mankind and it forms into a storm above mankind and eventually it manifests lightning and that lightning strikes them. And that's going to be the Ubermensch. And so he continues to this metaphor. He continues to this metaphor of this idea of this storm being above man. And now he's describing these heavy drops falling one by one out of the dark cloud that lowers over man. Such a powerful image. I love all those who are like heavy drops. And he's describing here these this Avengers character that are going to deal with the decadent decline of the modern age, the Dionysian decadent chaos age. He's describing this dark cloud with these heavy drops and he's saying that these Avengers, it's like when you're standing underneath a monstrous storm, like this imagery is so powerful. I can see it so clearly in my head, this character standing, looking up at this giant storm of like chthonic pain, the, the, the faces of all the anguish of man in this storm. And then these drops start to fall down because the storm is about to rain. The storm is about to break. And these heavy drops are like the first innovators. And you know what this reminds me of is um, how Christianity swamped into Rome. Because what was Christianity like? You know, it started with Christ. Then you had the 12 apostles. And these 12 apostles, they were littered in Jerusalem and they spread then and maybe turned into like something like, you know, 148 characters. And you have this small crack elite of these Christians, St. Paul and all these characters, and they worm out and they spread out of the Levant into the, the, the Roman Empire, into the Mediterranean basin. And the, this is like this set of Avengers characters. They go and they network in this very intelligent way and they set up all these little churches and these religious institutions and they create this incredibly dynamic and intelligent organizational force based on this idea of Christianity. And you have all these characters embracing into this. And these characters are like the first heavy drops of the storm that is um, Christianity. And, and Jesus was the lightning, you know. And these heavy drops begin to move out into the world. And one by one, more heavy drops come along, more drops come along. And then eventually the rains come. And then all of a sudden Rome has like a million inhabitants who are Christian. And then it just becomes an absolute torrential rain. And then all of Rome converts to Christianity. And this, it's, you know, the, the storm has swooped over now and transformed Rome can entirely and it'll never be the same again. And it's sort of like these metaphors that he's describing here too. He's talking about how there'll, there'll be a couple of people. There's a couple of blokes who are going to kind of get Nietzsche's ideas and get what he's talking about and believe in this idea of a Superman, of, of achieving something beyond mankind and justifying the, the, the struggle of our history. And he describes them as these first heavy drops, these first trinklets that will come out of the storm and platter on your face, platter on man's face as he looks up, platter on, the, I guess, the face of the observer of history who will be looking back in our time.
And eventually more will come. Eventually more people will be persuaded and these ideas will be digested and presented in a more um, blossoming and, and full way. And people will begin to understand and then it will begin to have instantiate change and culture will begin to transform. And then eventually will come the, the lightning and the lightning will be the Ubermensch. And of course, he ends it with this incredibly powerful statement. And I am the first prophet of the lightning. And I'm the first heavy drop falling from the storm. But the lightning is the Ubermensch. Now, I have ranted for quite a lot of time here. Let me see how many, oh, Jesus, are stacked with people at the moment. If anybody has any ponderings, any questions or any notions or any thoughts even on the section four of Thus Spoke Zarathustra, I'd love to hear them now. Just please request. And if not, I will continue to rant. All right, gents, the rant will continue. Oh, we've got a few boils. Mr. Athenian Stranger, how are you doing? Saddam Hussein. <laughs> I've always loved that name. <laughs> um, sweet lads, gentlemen, how are you doing, Paolo? What's going on? All right, sweet. I'll continue rumbling and ranting. So what happens next is we arrive at section number five of the prologue. So Zarathustra has, again, gone on this big rant about uh, these avengers of the future, the, the manifestors of the Ubermensch, the, you know, the, the prophets of the lightning, absolutely so beautiful, so powerful, so pregnant with imagery. He does such a brilliant job. You can tell that this stuff just blistered out of his imagination in a powerful way. And then we go on to section five. And what happens with section five? And this is a very famous section. Section five, when Zarathustra had spoken these words, he again looked at the people. And he was silent. And there they stand, he said to his heart. And they laugh at me. And they do not understand me. I am not the mouth for these ears. And so he's becoming depressed. They're, they're sniggering at him again. So he's gone in this big pretentious rant about, you know, setting up this Marvel comic set of Avengers who are going to take over the world and instantiate the Ubermensch. And all these people in the village look at him and say, you fucking dork, shut up, nerd, loser. We're watching this tightrope, like, you're fucking, get the fuck out of here. And so Zarathustra feels like he's getting bullied again. He's having, like, traumatic PTSD flashback from when Nietzsche was in school. And, I don't know, some German dude was, like, slagging him for being an incel, as all, as usual. And so he gets a bit jaded. And so he looks at them, and he's like, all right, they don't get it. They're, like, just going above their heads. These are not these Avengers I'm looking for. I'm talking to the wrong people. So he starts to turn around, and he's like, man, what I got to do? First, you'd have to batter these people's ears so that they could learn to hear with their eyes, that they may learn to hear with their eyes. Basically, as far as I understand this, I might have this one wrong, but um, he's basically saying that they don't have an imagination. They can't really dream. You know, they're the kind of type of people who <laughs> you can't install ideas in their heads. You know, you just have to basically shout at them what to do. Like you're like demanding that they obey and all this. And there's no abstract imagination. You can't evoke big dreams inside of their heads. Instead, you're just sort of like, do this, do that. The same way as you see those characters, you know, they sit in front of the TV and the TV screams at them that everyone is dying and all this. And it's like, you better just line the fuck up, take the welfare, put the mask on, stay inside and all this type of stuff. It's like, if the TV shouts loud enough at them, they'll just basically do it. They're not going to sit there and like dream. They're not going to imagine. They're not going to, you know, pontificate using their dynamic fifth, gen fifth dimensional imagination and think to themselves, could all this be a ruckus? What's going on here? So he can, goes on to say, must one clatter like kettle drums and preachers? 
someone should shout like some guy at a pulpit, just like slandering or blathering on about moral platitudes. Like you see, you know, Trudeau stand up there and blather on about his moral platitudes and all this stuff. Or do they only believe these types of characters? They are proud of something. They are proud of their civilized nature, their culture. It's what distinguishes them from the goat herds. So what he's basically getting at here is that dreams are something that's below them. They're sort of like, you know, uppity and they look at themselves as these people who live in the village and they look at their, they look at their culture, they look at what they are. They're, they're sort of homo state, state of state. They're, as they manifest exactly as they are, they think to themselves, we don't need to change. We're perfect as we are. We're the civilized ones. Dreams are like barbaric, you know, thinking outside the box is weird. It's like when you've dealt with this stuff an awful lot when, uh, with the pandemic, I keep on coming back to this metaphor because it's such a brilliant one. But, you know, you'd actually say to people, it's like, how about we think a little bit critically about this? And they'd call you all these anti-culture things. They'd be like, you're anti-science, you're anti-experts, you know, they challenge you on all these very interesting cultural frames these npc responses and all of these were categorizations of outgroup signaling you know they're saying that you're just you're just not the city and they would always use that sort of moral frame of you not being civilized you not being intelligent you you know you're not intelligent you're not on reddit enough you don't have a enough stars on reddit to be having an opinion you're not sounding enough like the news you're basically not cultured you're some ignoramus uh, you, you know, your, your heart is full of hate. I, you'd hear stuff like this all the time. Just so just, it's so strange the way you'd hear it. Oh, you're so full of hate. You're so full of ignorance and all this. And you're there like trying to critically think to try to help people make sure they don't fuck up their health or something like that or allow an instantiation of an authoritarian super government that's going to lock them down and make them all fucking LGBT characters or something like this. But then they're telling you that that's wrong or that's evil or that's, you know, they're, they're using the outgroup thing. And so they take massive pride in this concept of being cultured. And I remember I'd speak to an awful lot of people like this and, and I would always see it, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily, it was like arrogance of believing that they're the civilized ones. They're the cultured ones. They're, you know, they're the, the people of science. They're the people who go along with the experts. And this is considered this sort of stance of sophistication. And that's it manifesting in our days. But in Nietzsche's day, this would have probably manifested as the Christian priest and the, the sort of diligent believing Christian who would have a sort of moral uppityness about them. And that, that would like the TV would have been the church. It's, it's weird reading Nietzsche because Nietzsche is very heavy against Christianity. And there is obviously some very serious criticisms of Christianity. But I actually think the way we could understand why he's so nasty towards Christians is actually a little bit better if we project it or move it on to our feeling towards the NPC and the sort of Redditor. I think Nietzsche is really trying to use Christians as a symbol of the Redditor, but he didn't have Redditors around in his time. And that's what he's sort of grabbing onto. Of course, he does Chris criticize Christianity. I'm very serious philosophical grounds as well but that sort of herd morality that he was talking about is is probably one of the most central things that he finds despicable and this is of course what he begins to discuss then he says look they dislike to hear of like them being wrong contempt of themselves so what he's going to do is tell a story about what will happen how they'll become something ugly this is where he starts to talk to them about the last man if they keep on this path of being uppity and civilized, if they don't aim for this ubermensch, you know, he doesn't like, like he's realizing that if he talks to them about this naked, oiled up bodybuilder, Superman, 
they obviously feel insecure about this. They're not interested in this, or right? it just sounds stupid or it sounds pretentious or something like this. So instead he wants to evoke fear. He wants to go in a different direction and say, here, this is what will happen if you don't do anything. And so he starts to speak to them about the last man. So he gives another bang here. He's going to try for the third time to talk to the people. So he says to the people, dear people, it is time for a man to fix his goal. It is time for a man to plant the seed of his highest hope. Still, his soil is rich enough for it. But that soil will one day be poor and exhausted. And no great tree will any longer be able to grow out of it. Listen, there will come a time when man will no longer launch the arrow of his longing beyond man. And the string of his bow will have unlearned or lost its ability to whiz. I am here to tell you that you must have chaos in yourself to give birth to a dancing star. And I am here to tell you that you still have chaos within you. But there will come a time when man will no longer give birth to any star. There will come a time when the most despicable man will arrive who can no longer despise himself. This will be the last man. The last man will ask, what, what, what is love? What, what is creation? What, what, is, what is ambition? What is longing? What is hope? What is dreams? What's, what's a star? And he will blink. The earth, by that time, will have become small. And on it, the last man will hop, making everything small. His species will be ineradicable, like the flea, like an insect. You see, the last man will live the longest. We have discovered happiness, the last man will say, and he will blink. They will have left their regions where it is hard to live because they need warmth. They will still love their neighbors and they will rub against him because they need warmth. Turning ill and being distrustful, they will consider that sinful. They will walk carefully. He is a fool who takes risks and stumbles. They will take a little poison now and then that makes for pleasant dreams. And they'll take lots of poison for a pleasant death. They will still work because work is a pastime. But they'll be careful in case their pastime should hurt themselves. They will no longer become poor or rich. Both are just too much effort. Who still wants to rule? Who still wants to obey? Both are simply too much work. There will be no shepherd and there will be one herd. Everybody will want the same. Everybody will be equal. He who has desires to go voluntary beyond this will end in, up in the madhouse. Formerly, all the world was mad. This is what their intellectuals will say. And they will blink. They will be clever and they will know everything that has happened. So they will end no. There is no end to their. I don't even know what that word is. Goddamn translations. People will still get in arguments, but they will soon be reconciled. Otherwise, it will upset them. They will have their little pleasures for the day and their little pleasures for the night, but they have a regard for their health. We have discovered happiness as the last man and they will blink. And it was right here that Zarathustra ended his first speech. Because at this point, 
this ruckus kicked up and all the people began to shout and they began to interrupt him. Oh, Zarathustra, let us become this last man. Give us this last man. Make us into these last men. Do you know what we will do? We will make a present for you. We will gift you the Ubermensch. You can keep him. We want to be these last men. They sound like they're having fun. And they all laughed and smacked their lips. And Zarathustra was blackpilled. He turned away sad and he said to his heart, they don't understand me. I am not the mouth for these ears. Too long, perhaps, I have lived in the mountains. Too much I have spoken to the, the brooks and the trees. Now I speak to them as if I speak to the goat herds. Calm is my soul and clear like the mountains in the morning, but they think me cold and a mocker with terrible jests. And now they look at me and laugh. And when they laugh, they hate me too. There is ice in their laughter. Now this is, this is very famous because if we're talking about the Ubermensch, the Overman, we have this antagonist figure, the last man, the fallen man. And this again harkens back to what I was saying yesterday, where we have this evolutionary process acting upon us. We're entering now from Nietzsche's day in the 19th century. We're descending into the Dionysian era, the decadent era, the decline of the West era. And at the end of this, things will be settled. There's this period of time where there'll be a massive transformative effect happening upon mankind. All this industrial power is going to have an effect of sorts. Things are speeding up. Some people call it the singularity, whatever you want to call it. There is this massive transitional aspect happening. I'd say man between the 500s and the 1500s was probably very similar man in many ways. But the man between the 1900s and 2000s, the early 2000s, the 21st century that we're in now, he's a much different man. You know, his, his, his test has dropped as everybody's talking about all these types of things. But all sorts of strange things have happened. There's even people who suggest that IQ levels are dropping and intelligence and stuff like that. We'll put all that stuff aside. You're seeing this transformation happen in real time. And of course, this is Nietzsche's idea of the downgoing, like this transformation period, this funnel, this window of history for two, three, four hundred years is going to happen. It is this transformation is going to take place. There will be evolutionary pressure placed upon us. And we have this question we must ask ourselves is what will we become? So we choose correctly and we may come out of this as the progenitors of the Ubermensch. We fail or we make too many mistakes. And what will what this super industrial world will manifest, what this technological wonder of a society will manifest will be the last man, the utopian man, the cultured man, the man who is the perfect slave. Nietzsche has in many other of his books discussions about this. He talks about the good European and beyond good and evil. And there's some brilliant and scary passages in it. How the European man is getting manufactured by the European culture to transform into this like compliant, docile sort of creature that is a perfect slave for a savvy, crafty ruler. He also has a brilliant phrase in Twilight of the Idols where he says, liberalism is the transformation of mankind into cattle. And of course, this is what the last man is. He is the herd animal manifest as a man. 
It is the final crushing out of man, all of his ascendant and master instincts, his master morals, and his manifestation of a pure herd with none of these things, no ambition, no future. And of course, what's his defining trait? And this is what's so fascinating about this is his happiness. He's, it's all about contentment. It's all about the pleasure. It's all about the satisfaction of the tingles in his body. It's all about stuffing his gills with McDonald's. It's all about making sure that the video games jolt him full of enough dopamine to keep him hyped as he's going through. It's all about giving him enough entertainment, enough bread and circuses, as the Romans used to say. This is what the last man is all about. He's, a, he's, a, he's docile. He doesn't have that sort of creative imagination to think of big dreams and goals. He's not like the man that might have participated in the Crusades or the man that might have participated in the colonial expansion of the Western world or the man that might have participated in the Renaissance or the man that might have participated in the Muslim expansions or the, the man, you know, that might have participated, the average man that might have participated in the Mongol expansions. Instead, he's just the, the dude who sits there and has opinions on Reddit about movies that drop, about how good that latest Star Wars was. Uh, Star Wars was. Oh, look, I got, um, uh, what's it? The prime drink that got dropped. They're like, oh, based prime. I queued up. I, I, I went on a big adventure yesterday where I woke up at 4 a.m. so I could queue up outside Walmart so I could buy some prime. There's your last man, Zarathustra. And what Zarathustra is basically saying is that, like, listen, this character is, you don't want to be this, you know, or well, maybe you do. <laughs> this is what it turns out. But he's basically saying that we have this shot. It's time for man to fix his goal. It's time for man to plant the seed for his highest hope. We're trying, we're trying to aim for something here. Still, our soil is rich enough. We still have the potential. And this is also a very fascinating point and a scary point in that you could think of this sort of idea of spending our potential. We could burn out our, our, our potential for, for the Ubermensch. This is really like a serious black pill that like there's a way that history could go that, that it could not work out. People are like, oh, it's all going to work out in the end. It's like things might genuinely not work out because we could fuck up here in this period of history that we have and we could transform ourselves into genetic messes. And then we simply won't have the intelligence or the organizational skills or the vitality to push ourselves out of that rut and man will sink down. And it'll be like the sort of same idea of how something like the Roman Empire fell but on a much grander scale, you know, it'll be so, because you can think about it this way. It's like maybe when Rome fell, the pressures that were happening with Rome still meant that like people's genetic stock was quite high. But now what's going to happen is that industrial society is just going to become so brutal on our genes and on, on our nature that it might actually destroy us in an absolute sense. And there'll just be no coming back from it ever. Like it will be just a permanent transitional shift in history that can never be recovered from. It can only be moved on from. And like mankind might take this like very strange route and, and difference. To give you another example of this, that's quite profound to think about, because we have such an interesting way of thinking about history where we think of it as stabilized and it, it kind of had to happen the way it happened. But Rome, for example, were tinkering with the steam engine, you know, before they um, collapsed. They were tinkering with these operations of like very primitive machines and whatnot. And they obviously had like grand engineering projects. The famous thing about Rome is that, like, what, what does it mean that Rome fell? Some people are like, Rome didn't fall. It's like, bro, there was a point in Gaul, in France, where people were taking the lead out of aqueducts because they didn't know what they were anymore. They didn't know how they worked. They couldn't fix them because they didn't know how they operated. Like, that's the absolute implosion of high knowledge. 
and what you are then living is a, you're a man among the ruins of a, a lost society. And you think about the West, it's like we look at the West around us and we Im- imagine that this like sort of technological wonder could continue on. It just seems like it's gone too far to go back. But what happens if there's this compendium of disasters and then things like the electricity sources begin to fall apart and then servers start to implode and, you know, climate change cult impositions mean that there's all sorts of weird restrictions start to happen in energy and then things like reverse into an, uh, an agrarian state and then you kind of have remnants of technological society that are slowly like falling apart and then we basically just go back to the baseline of man and sink back down into something botched you know something lost as, as they called it the dark ages something similar to, to that where we lose we miss the high point it's a very interesting thought because a lot of people like oh, i have this bias as well it's like i kind of believe this is going to go on forever and i catch myself sometimes i'm like you know maybe you couldn't maybe it'd stop and so the idea then is this end goal this this end goal that we aim for where we make it out of this this chaos period this is um a chance to level up we fuck that up and then we end up falling down and then we have all this potential right now where we have all this enough intelligence we did have enough energy uh, probably around about nietzsche's time there was definitely enough sort of moral unity and um, self-belief i actually think the west has lost this now at this point but there was enough sort of chauvinism and self-belief and and desire for <clears throat> success for yourself that you had this creative potential to aim it in some direction and i genuinely think that's gone and maybe maybe we have still a little bit of it left to bring back but you can you can see that it's just not there the way it was before and he's basically saying that like when that's all spent <clears throat> we'll have like two or three shots at the ubermensch you know two or three really big attempts at, at going beyond ourselves and making a really good whack at it and after that's spent after we've used up that energy, it's 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 over, lads. It's gone. It's done. That's that's the end. And then these these forces of entropy will become too powerful. The the sort of pleasure seeking lower yeast energy inside of man will will overwhelm the 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 ambitious parts, the longing parts, and then then you'll see us manifest. Your children, everybody will just become manifest into the apex tax slave to get fouched. That's just what will happen. And then what you'll see is that the degradation falling down into the gregarious, good European, as Nietzsche called them. And he, this is someone who doesn't think, someone who's not, you know, interesting, someone who's not ambitious, someone who's, they basically have just no virtues. They're just sort of like a perfect representation of entropy, which is like this law of the middle. You know, if, like, how does entropy work? You get a hot coffee cup and you put it in a cold room. And how entropy works is entropy causes both of these two things to balance. So the coffee matches the temperature of the room. And the temperature of the room slightly increases to match the, to- the coffee because the room is so big you don't notice. And so the last man is sort of like this. There's no exception. He's just sort of going for this like median. He's always trying to hit entropy. He's going to just deal with happiness and just go with emotions and be gregarious and be whatever. But he's not going to go beyond that. And so he'll actually sort of live he'll survive but it'll be like the transformation of man into this like yeast this bug this infection and again i think i was talking about this yesterday how um many of nietzsche's metaphors are kind of like it's almost like a shtick that you'd hear alex jones talking about where it's like they think we're infections they think we're diseases or something like this and 
there's sort of like there's something to that like it's it's kind of undeniable maybe if you wanted a you know life coach if you wanted Nietzsche to be a life coach for Bill Gates or something like that you'd be sitting down there and you kind of get it like you get maybe that these dudes all right you're we're assuming some type of evil agency inside of their heads but if we're going to assume that they've got some Machiavellian plan to depopulate the world or some crazy shit which I'm not necessarily sure I believe I they might just be dorks is my theory so but if they had this this would be the sort of way that they would be looking at this. And there's actually quite good logic to this thinking. It's like you're looking at the average man and people are like, oh, they want to depopulate us. And then you walk around, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, that's terrible. And then you go out and you go down to McDonald's and you're like, fuck, man, I, I think I agree with them. Like, What are we doing? Like, holy shit, the state of the people around here, they're guzzling seed oils. And you go, go into them and be like, do you realize all of that stuff is cooked in canola oil? It's, it's turning you into a, a puffed tub. Like you're, you're turning into couch man. You know, what are you doing? And they're like, I don't care. It tastes good. And you're like, oh man, what's happening? Like, Jesus Christ. You go and you, you see how people are so easily manipulated by propaganda. They're so compliant. They're so unwilling to challenge themselves. Like maybe even push all that stuff aside and just think about, you know, the problem of people being overweight and stuff like this and the problem of people not having discipline. It's like they literally just don't do the simplest things, the simplest acts of self-overcoming. They were they staunchly refuse to do out of no other reason but blunt laziness. That's what it comes down to. It's not even competence or intelligence or difficulty figuring out something like propaganda or like being being naively manipulated by people it's just literally like they won't get the fuck up and go for a jog or they won't go lift weights or something like that that's unbelievable that's hard to stomach that's really showing you the sort of the 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 lack of horizons within man this is like one of our the lowest spirits inside of us and it's everywhere pure entropy pure pure conservation of energy pure yeast energy and so this exists inside of us and then you think about bill gates and you know he's probably thinking oh yeah man what the fuck am i going to do about this although bill gates drank poo water so maybe he's just a dork you also have to keep that in mind as well he's not some like nietzschean genius he's just a fucking loser keep that in mind um but the last man is the manifestation of that energy and so his his goals is just happiness it's just mediocrity and happiness and and think of these metaphors that nietzsche constantly uses because it's such a funny story because you'd imagine this evil story would be like like even think about the psychology of this like what's the story you hear off i'm giving alex jones such a ribbing but i guess that's like the most dominant story i see in the reactionary space what's the ir- evil story you hear there's a satan there's satan you know the big evil character and he's there's this network of elites and they're manipulating everybody behind the scenes motivated by satan trying to like destroy you and kill you and fuck you up and all this type of stuff and that that's a big story and you know you could definitely look and see the way that they do all these fucking crazy rituals and shit and be like you know there's probably something to that you know but then on the, on the, on the flip side here's nietzsche presenting you a completely different narrative that these people aren't satanic they're not all powerful people in league with the dark force of the universe with this hyper intelligent luciferian force that's trying to imprison the, the planet or something like this instead he's saying that like it's almost like a a, a, a cacophony of idiots a cacophony of uh, pathetic people a symphony of soy is what's going on and what happens is like bill gates is the last man's sort of high priest and he's leading this tribe of last men and they're all like butt fucking each other as they persuade each other to drink poo water and eat bugs. And you're like, oh my god, is that is that actually what's going on? Fuck, <laughs> it's not. It's not like uh, it's not like there's this some demonic force trying to ruin life. It's like 
it's just it's just a load of dorks and it's like it's 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 what's this saying america's not going to collapse with a a bang it's going to collapse collapse with a whimper type thing it's that type of letdown of what, what you expected to be happening and this is what's going on is that it's it's a load of dorks it's a load of fools it's a load of idiots it's a load of people who are motivated by averageness and do you know what's fascinating about this is when you start to project it into values you start to look at um, what what I mean by this is you start to look at these elite people and you start to look at their big projects, their big values, their big goals, because this is what Nietzsche is talking about. It's the biggest ideas of all. The Ubermensch is the ultimate project. It's like if, if he lived in the Catholic times of the 10th, 10th century, he'd be talking about the grand crusade. That is the grand motivating energy, the grand civilizational existential uh, goal. The reconquista of Spain and the the crusade into the the Arab Muslim lands, where we can take the Moors out of Jerusalem and win them for Christianity. This is the grand energetic big idea that everybody's force of life would go towards. And then Nietzsche's proposing the Ubermensch. Now, what is the ones that we have nowadays? You even hear people like Jordan Peterson talk about this. This shows you how little Jordan Peterson actually diligently dives into Nietzsche. He just dismisses him and says, Jung said that Nietzsche said you can't, that Nietzsche said you create values, you can't do that. So therefore Nietzsche's disproved. You're like, all right, great, man. And then Jordan Peterson will go up and say stuff like, uh, well, what, what's, what's, worth, what's the worth doing in the world? Well, look, you can feed all the poor or you can um, lift up everybody in the third world and stuff like this. Or you can instantiate some type of utilitarian program across the world. They're good enough goals. They're big goals. Or you can do something with climate change. And what you start to notice is that Peterson's a bit of a normie. He's a bit of a last man. He accepts. He's able to think very well. He's a very smart dude. But he's not able to dynamically. He doesn't have the imagination to really critique these super big ideas that are sort of like the pillars that hold up our society. He's not able to look at our era and say, what is our crusade? And is that the right crusade to pursue? He actually accepts that on first principle. He's not able to dig deep enough into that and critique that properly and really think about that. And that's, of course, what Nietzsche can do. This is why Nietzsche is a blistering genius beyond everything that we've seen in, in our um, civilization. And so Nietzsche criticizes before it comes around all these utilitarian projects like the, the communism could be counted under this you know, feed the world, sacrifice the West in order to get equity and equality for all of the world and save the environment by sacrificing the West, the climate change thing and all this type of stuff. And these grand ideas, these massive ideas motivate the majority of our elite. And what you start to realize is that, oh, my God, maybe it's not some psychopathic conspiracy. Maybe it is. I don't know everything about the world, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's a cacophony of last men with their last men crusades. And this is what they're sort of doing. Society is moving towards this sort of new soy religion of just wimpishness and patheticness. And this is why everything seems like it's clown world. And it seems like it's controlled by some type of fucking entity. You're like, I didn't know Satan was a fucking gay soy boy. What's going on here? It's like, maybe that's not what's happening. Maybe Satan isn't pulling the strings in the way we think it is. But it's, it's that these incentives and this lack of imagination and lack of ambition, and lack of spirit has manifest into a kind of cultural problem. And then all the decisions that come out of this are, are just absolutely pathetic or absolutely ridiculous or absolutely the worst. And so what you see is this last man religion showing up in our age where all the big ideas are dominated by this. And people can't think beyond these, these sort of imaginative states. And you basically get this just, just sort of like reinforcing self-entropic dominoes game where basically the elites like Bill Gates... And even Elon Musk, you know, are like all about building electric cars and sticking a fucking brain chip inside of your head 
instead of pushing us towards something great and grand and, and pushing us to something that might be considered, for example, illiberal, like something like the Superman. We can't, we're not, we don't permit ourselves to think this way. And so we're like trapped in this prison and forced to, to, to transform ourselves into last men. And it comes down to this idea of like, like Sam Harris consciousness. Did you ever listen to Sam Harris's big first principles? He would say like, look, listen to him and Jordan Peterson have their two hour cope talk. And what does it basically boil down to in the end? Well, what's the greatest value? Well, well-being for everyone. And you're like, like that's what Sam Harris says. And Jordan Peterson says, yeah, well, okay, okay. And you can just hear in this, like this is this is this this these these midwits clashing up against the actual questions and just not being able to think about them. They don't have the the, the energy and the imagination and the vitalism to question something like well-being for all and saying maybe that's not a good place to start and then they go build all this cope and you know you fucking listen to it because you know we're all dummies as well but this is really what it comes down to is that can you flip that stone can you ask a different question could you say instead of well-being from all for all because that's the sort of crusade of the last man what would the ubermensch's crusade be well if we could take ourselves in a different direction this is of course why nietzsche suggests the ubermensch and so he's warning against this he's saying that you'll be stuck in clown world if you don't listen to him he's saying that you will you will see soy jacks all around you every time you you go to the 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 fast food restaurant you open you try to order something there will there will a soy jack will be right there filling your milkshake with soybean milk everywhere you go you go into the office the bureaucrats will all be soy jacks they'll be sending you to a gulag and have you beaten to death with dildos and they'll be wearing their soy jack cases they'll be like tranny armies coming to get you this type of thing you're like oh my god all right and so, and, and I like, again, this is what's so fucking mind blowing about Nietzsche is look at the prophetic statements here. He, he has like four or five just pithy statements here in a sort of poetic sense. And think about how clear and accurate these turned out to be for our age. It's surreal. I re- like I read this stuff and I'm like, man, how did he guess this stuff? So, for example, um, a little poison now and then will make for pleasant dreams and much poison at last for a pleasant death. And so have you seen recently in Canada, you have the euthanasia project. And this is the perfect representation of this. Like how does Canada morally justify euthanasia? Because it's such a weird thing for a Western civilization to do. But of course, it comes down to this idea of well-being and this idea of escaping suffering and this idea of the sort of chthonic happiness and this mediocrity of spirit, you know, where you're not going to deal with anything that's challenging. And it's all about just like giving people this utilitarian ability to, you know, avoid pain and avoid uh, tempest and a bunch of struggle and all this type of stuff and so it's like we, we wield something like poison to allow people to euthanize themselves and then our approach towards things like alcohol and, and drugs and all this type of stuff like we heavily regulate them but you're allowed you're allowed to have a bit of tobacco a little bit of alcohol a little bit of you can kind of tinker with drugs and all this type of stuff so that you can um you know like live a little bit of a pleasant life it's all about pleasure you know it's not like we have really pushing the tempo with any of these types of things is you see the motivation underneath it is just pleasure you know brave it's like a brave new world world type thing that's getting pushed on and it's it's surreal to see it but when you understand the psychology of it it actually makes coherent sense and i guess nietzsche pointed out this psychology and because it was such an accurate prediction his work feels almost prophetic when you read it people will still work but work is a pastime 
one is careful not to let the pastime get too busy. So like think about even our relationship towards operations and jobs. You know, do you ever hear about the old bullshit job idea? And it's the still it's that same thing that like work is feels meaningless nowadays. And it is actually quite rare to have a grand ambition. Like in the past, you could join a fucking army and go and like try conquer. Like if you're in England, you'd join an army and the, the king would take you down to France and you'd go and you'd like, you know, attack people and shit like this and you go on a fucking war. And then if you lost the war, you'd end up in slavery. And that's some like, that's some ballsy shit. That would make your life exciting. That'd be, you could go and join the crusade, for example. You, maybe even only 60 years ago, you could go and try to join NASA and end up on the moon or something like this. But or like we don't really have stuff of that ambition anymore. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like what well, what what's your grand? You're gonna to go to Wall Street and invest in stocks. You're gonna go and do crypto trading. You're gonna go and code some fucking bullshit so you can mind wash the normies on these social media apps. Like what's what's our crusade? There might be some people who find things like going to Mars and all this, but. Has anything interesting happened recently in, in regards to any of those? Has there been any great explorations, any great adventures? Like, it doesn't actually seem like any of that stuff exists anymore. And it seems like the general attitude of work is to move away from stuff like that as well. There's this sort of idea that, like, people just want the routine of a job. And and that's sort of what the statesis, or the, the, the staticness that we're re reaching towards. One becomes neither poor or rich, but are too burdensome. So this is all actually strangely similar to the whole communist project as well, which is quite interesting. But I guess it was it was it was there in his time. And then he continues to go um, all the way into and then the, the, a really nice line. Anybody who has other sentiments goes voluntarily into the madhouse. So you can think about how, like, if you're a character of any weirdness, if you've got any like surreal ambitious energy and you want to do something kind of psycho and, and strange and different there's just no way for you to to express that outlet and it would feel so weird to go against such a massive herd of people that you just basically say all right look, i'm, I'm a psycho I'm, I'm gonna go and i'm gonna drug myself to death or something like that you know and then i'm gonna you'd accept all these myths i, I think a, a good way to understand this is like if achilles was born in our age he'd probably end up on in like on antidepressants or something like this or on adderall because he'd be in school and he'd be such a crazy bastard he'd get drugged and then eventually he'd like because he's drugged he'd probably be shoved into therapy against his will when he was young or whatever he'd just end up in therapy because this is what they do and then they'd like distort his mind and then his great in, insane creative vital power would kind of be twisted and he'd end up some poor bastard who's just like maybe even a criminal or something like this but he just wouldn't fit in there's just no room for a character like this and those energies aren't accounted for and it's it's a bit of a, di a difficult issue and um then they'll have the intellectuals formerly all the world was insane and like this is you know this is actually quite crazy although maybe that was being said in nietzsche's time but you hear this all the time, you know, like you, you feel this energy so much. You go into Reddit and people are like, oh, it, it's literally like Reddit is just formerly all the world was insane. And now we've invented science. And now we are like the fucking men. We're sorted. Holy shit. There's get me that Soylent. Line that shit up. Give me a straw because I can't fucking unwind it with my hand. Let's suck this shit down. We are the bomb. Did you see? Did you see Avatar 2? Like, what the, f we are the fucking men. We look what we've sorted out. And it's that type of energy. And it's like, back in the past, they were Christians, which means that they were racist, which means that they were anti-Semitic, which means they're homophobic, which means they're misogynistic. And we've defeated all of that stuff with science. Aren't we the best? And all, all in the past, they were living through, and they're just so dumb. I can't believe that they were just living there for thousands of years like fucking idiots, not knowing how the world works. Well, fucking stupid bastards. 
seriously so dumb they didn't even realize that you know the moon wasn't like you know some smiley face in the sky and the sun wasn't some bloke with a chariot and all this they're such idiots like they believed that a man lived in the sky like what dummies what fools they didn't that realize that the sky was like helium you know chthonic dark matter and stuff like this what dummies and then you have the kind of intellectuals to stand up and support all this, the Richard Dawkins, the neo-atheists, Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, intellectual dark ways. There's constant manifestations of the sort of midwit intellectual heroes always showing up. And they're like the, the high priest of the herd type thing. And it's, it's so surreal to see it because it's like a constant iteration of an archetypal pattern that Nietzsche is describing here. This becomes like the kind of story. And I guess the reason why this is so interesting is because of its prophetic effect. And because Nietzsche is suggesting that like, it's like when you're seeing this, it means that your, your civilization is evolving towards this, which means your civilization is not evolving towards the Superman. You realize that that's not good because the, the energy and potential you have is being spent on transforming mankind into the last man. You have the energy to do a lot of things. We'll say two possible things to keep it simple. You can use that energy to be to make people the supermen, or you can use them to make them the last man. Currently, you're investing it all in being the last man. And you're going to spend all that energy, and then you won't have any left to be the superman. It'll be over. That's not good, bros. You don't want that stuff. And of course, he's trying to warn them. He's trying to blackpill them, trying to scare them. And then, of course, they turn around and they say, fuck me, I'd rather be this last man. Sounds like a buzz. Sounds cool. You mean bread and circuses? Sign me the fuck up. Your Superman sounds like a lot of effort, bro. Shut the fuck up. We're watching the tightrope walker. Be quiet, please. And that ends section five. So if anybody has any questions, any ponderings, any thoughts, please request. Or I will wrap this up. Any ponderings? Let me check out the credit. No thoughts whatsoever. And last calls for this, lads. As I said, request. Or I'm going to wrap it up. All right, not too bad. I guess I will wrap it up. So, um, well, as I said, the reason why I'm reading through this, reading through this prologue, is because I have put this up as a animated shot using... AI art. So we did the first five sections of Thus Spoke Zarathustra. I highly recommend you check it out. It is linked all across my um, timeline if you want to go check it out there. It's over on YouTube. So it's about 20 minutes long and it's the visual animated version of the prologue which represents all of these ideas. And you can definitely go check that stuff out. Give it a look. See what you think about it. See if you think it's juicy. See if you think it's powerful. This is all the intellectual context of this. This is all the, uh, the the meaning behind all of these ideas. So I hope you enjoy. I hope you you enjoyed having this fleshed out. And I will um, continue exploring this in the future. It is such a brilliant book. It's got such wit and pithy humor inside of it. It's a lot of fun. So thank you very much for your time here today, gents. And I will talk to you later.